Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris, as always, and I'm here with Patrick. Hello. Patrick is back from his, well, he's, never mind, he's not back. I'm still uh, here. He's back on the show. <laughs> Last week, I was too busy going to a Muppets-themed burlesque show to join the recording, Fortunately, there were no oddly-themed burlesque shows tonight, so I was able to rejoin, but I am still in the spookiest city in America, New Orleans. I feel like you have to have a, a really specific childhood and set of experiences and interests to appreciate that show. Oh, you absolutely do, and I have that exact set of experiences. <laughs> it was squarely in my wheelhouse. Well, we're also here with Steven, as always. Hello. Hi. And uh, happy Halloween, you know, it's, 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 it's that time of year. Finally, the, the October is, has, has, is peaking. And so are we. And so are we. Because we just learned some really awesome news since the last time we, we spoke to you all. Yeah. Um, we were, we're covered. fucking variety. Don't bury the lead. Yeah. This we is were, huge. We were covered in, in variety in a, in a rundown of like the 12 best horror podcasts to listen to for Halloween or something like that. And in great company. Oh yeah. Like all of my favorite horror podcasts are on that list, including one that no longer exists anymore. So I was, I was shook guys when Patrick sent us that news. Yeah, I mean, I said to someone earlier today, it was just so surreal. I felt like I've been losing my mind since I received this news. It's like, I read Variety. Like, I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to be in Variety. It's it's just very strange, but an absolute delight. And, you know, thanks to, uh, you know, thanks to the this writer for uh, picking us up and doing a little research. You know, I appreciated uh, that they, they learned a little something about the show and uh, noticed that we never use our last names strategically, perhaps. <laughs> Can I just say, I did LOL that they referred to all three of us as amiable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they clearly, all... they clearly didn't listen too closely. <laughs> they, they clearly have never been behind the scenes, nor would I expect them to be. <laughs> that gave me a good chuckle. <laughs> nor would we wish that on anyone (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we'll put those uh links in our show notes so check them out and uh you know because because not enough people click through the article these days so uh so make sure you visit them give them some traffic so they write more articles about us that'd be fantastic it feels like we're gloating a little bit but i think we should thank our fans whether you're here for your second episode whether you've been around this whole time i mean god bless you if that's the case and also hope you have a good therapist um just thank you (laughs) thanks for helping us keep the dream going yeah i mean because you know frankly i mean it's a cheesy thing and whatever but i think it's fair to say that after four fucking years and however many episodes i don't think we'd still just be sitting here doing this shit if we didn't have some sense of at least somebody out there listening Mm -hmm. enjoying it and we and we get that you know thank thanks you all for listening and commenting and telling us what you thought and when you agreed with us and when you thought we were insane and giving us recommendations and uh we love it and we love you absolutely so we're here today to talk about The Conjuring, which I picked for our movie. It's uh, it's not an obscure Netflix movie. This is probably one of the bigger studio movies that we've done on this show. Uh, but it has a lot of Halloween energy, at least in my opinion. So I figured we should watch it and discuss it, if we were going to watch it and discuss it, around Halloween time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, you know, we always like to do a little catch up on what else we've been doing that's horror related. And it's the perfect time of year to be, you know, peaking in our horror media consumption. So... What have you guys been up to? Guys, uh, have you all seen Lamb yet? I don't even know if I've no. asked you this. God damn no. it, I want to though. Fuck. Lamb is so fucking good. It is beautiful, understated, shocking, unlike anything you've fucking seen. Incredibly acted, beautifully shot. It's so fucking weird. Uh, for those of you who, who may be out there and not know anything about it, uh it's about a couple who's raising a lamb, and I'm really not going to say anything else other than that it takes some 
disturbing and completely unexpected and funny turns. It's one of the weirdest and most astonishing things I've seen in a long time, and I can't wait to see it again. That's Lamb. That's my pitch for Lamb. It sounds very A24. It is um, very A24. It, it sounds in like the, the best kind of, way. Yeah, it sounds great. I, I have a couple of friends who've seen it who have like who are urging me daily to go out and check it out. Um, how horror is it? I mean, it looks like a movie that would be, by definition, very hard to categorize. It is very hard to categorize. Um, you know, it's one of those movies where uh, horrifying things happen in it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what fucking genre you would call it. I guess if I were to pick a genre, it would be horror. Um, okay. But certainly, you know, not your not your traditional fare. But, it, I mean, it's unsettling from moment one, for sure. I would say it evokes dread and suspense from moment one um, hmm. so i think it fits into horror for sure oh that's all i need yeah that sounds yeah. great my my other uh quick plug for this week it's not this one definitely is not strictly horror but it is it does have big halloween energy and it's an annual halloween just you know must must do appointment reading for me is batman the long halloween classic Ooh, Batman yeah. graphic novel if y'all have never read it before um, just one of the, the seminal, super influential works on a lot of people's Batman movies and Batman stories in general. And it takes place between two Halloweens. So the opening chapter and final chapter both take place at Halloween. But the whole thing just has fucking huge Halloween energy. Uh, Batman's tracking a serial killer who kills on holidays called the Holiday Killer. And everything, like I said, has Halloween energy to it. The artist Tim Sale's work is gorgeous. And, and he gives the rogues gallery a very like monster mash kind of feel. It feels like mm. you're looking at a cast of Halloween characters. And I read it every fucking October, getting deep into it and, and feeling the vibe again this year. The the Holiday Killer, is, is that the same as the Calendar Man? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, or the January Man. Oh, no, Calendar Man is like Hannibal Lecter in that, isn't he? He's I'm a separate like, character. No, no spoilers. I mean, the, the reveal of the Holiday Killer, it's a, it's a great, you know, it's a, it's a big twist. There's a lot of work done to throw a lot of red herrings into the story and to distract yeah. and, and mislead you from who the, the killer is in the end. And, okay. and you, may even have, you may even have differing interpretations of the, in the end of who the killer actually was. Well, I just remember about 10 years ago when, when Batman Arkham City, the video game, came out, I there was a trophy <laughs> you would get if you went and you talked to Calendar Man on yeah. the holidays, every holiday. And so for like about eight months or something, I was going and talking to Calendar Man on actual holidays. It was Thanksgiving, and I was like, hold on, guys, I need the TV for, for five minutes. Um, yep. and, and Calendar Man would give you a little poem about the holiday. I never checked i never got through them all so i never got the trophy but that was a good little uh, holiday tradition for me for for a few months there speaking of video games um the horror thing that i consumed recently i I played through alan wake remastered which is (gasps) dude i've been wanting to play that it's a remastering of alan wake not remastered which came out I don't even know, 10, 12, 13 years ago, something, something crazy. Um, and it's, it's a, it's, was kind of a mediocre game. It did a lot of things really well. It was very interesting. Um, it had builds a lot of atmosphere. It's about a writer in uh, the Pacific Northwest who is like kind of a Stephen King analog and he gets drawn into this mystery and this, this horror experience. And, and it seems to have some connections to a book that he wrote, but can't remember writing. And that sounds really interesting. And it was the, the story was interesting. The gameplay was so so. I think they tried a lot of really ambitious ideas and then kind of realized that none of them really worked the way they wanted them to and so kind of just fell back on being like a third person shooter. Um but I played through the whole thing, uh which is more than I can say for most games these days. So, it must have been doing some things right. I would certainly check out a sequel to Alan Wake and I think they're making one. So, Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. What platform is that on? The the remastered one is on, available for PS4 as well as PS5 and Xbox One and the new Xbox. Got it. Steven, what have you been up to, man? Well, I've been trying to watch a lot of spooky shit, but I've wound up watching a lot of garbage that I'm not going to mention here. Um, I, I'll say the movie Warlock from the 90s. I don't know if you guys remember this VHS cover. It always kind of intrigued me as a kid. 
uh, with Julian Sands as a warlock who gets transported into the present day. Uh, it's a it's a piece of shit. Richard E. Grant is in it, and even he isn't compelling in it. <laughs> so skip that one if it's been in your queue. I watched a couple of things I can't really talk about. One of them I can't name yet. It's a movie that we'll review in the down the down the line when I get to pick. Um, but I uh, shameless self plug. I'm going to be repping Amon on a podcast called Talking Musical History. So we watched the t- off Broadway Toxic Avenger musical last week, and I'll be mm. guesting on their show next week to talk about it. Again, can't really share my thoughts here except to say that I don't know that I would recommend it for our listeners. Uh, but stay tuned. I'll have more details on that soon. So that's been my spookiness for the past couple of weeks. Hell yeah. Well, let's talk about our spookiness for tonight. Our spookiness Mm -hmm. for tonight is The Conjuring, James Wan's 2013 horror masterpiece. In one we trust. I don't know. Now, I saw this movie in the theater. um, And at the time, I remember there was a lot of buzz around this movie. People were like, oh, yeah. The Conjuring, it is. It is too scary for you. They were like the Conjuring. <laughs> I think the, the 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 thing I kept hearing was like the Conjuring is like the only movie to be rated R for terror. <laughs> like like it was R rated R, but it, the only reason it deserved an R rating is because it was too fucking scary for you. Oh my god. Well, I saw it at the drive-in theater, actually, which gave me a very specific experience with this, and I think probably I clouded my perception of it in a, in a negative way I, mean, I was glad that i got to revisit it on a tv screen because i just saw it on a super dark ass like those drive-in screens are not very easy to tell what's going on a lot of the time and it yeah. did not make much of an impression on me so i'm glad that i got this chance to sit down see it on a proper screen with proper sound for the first time can we do a brief tangent because drive-ins are like all the rave now i mean especially because of um because of covid you know they've made a huge comeback yeah i'm not a fan of the drive-in experience it's never worked for me like in theory it sounds like a fun date night or something but you wind up like barely being able to see what's going on in the fucking movie like patrick said the sound's all weird there's too much activity around you if you haven't cleaned your the inside of your windshield in a while it's (laughs) an especially unpleasant experience i don't really dig it I love doing it like once a year just for just for the experience. But you have to pick something that you don't care that much about actually yeah. seeing. Like it's more about sitting in the car, eating some snacks, making out, talking to your friends, whatever the hell, not paying that much attention to the movie because you just it's you know, it's 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 just fundamentally not a great way to see a movie. Yeah, I've never been to a drive-in. I always have been curious about going. First, it's hard to find the combination of a movie that I want to see it a drive-in, but don't care that much about seeing. Mm-hmm. And then also finding someone at the same time who wants to go with me. <laughs> so, But even for like screenings of older films, um, the ones that I would want to pay to see, I wouldn't want to see in my car. Even if mm. I've seen Poltergeist a million times, I don't want to go to the drive-in, even if it's right down the right down the street in Monroe for like eight bucks or whatever. It's just not appealing to me. There's a new drive-in here in Monroe, and and I wanted to go see Christine. Mm. Uh, they played Christine, okay. and I was like, that's good because that's a movie like I'm familiar with. I don't need to watch it that carefully, right? But it would be fun to see a. It, it, with a bunch of cars. Well, I it's think a good, yeah, it's a good movie for your car too. Yeah, your car, car would, would enjoy the that. The car a lot. would enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of what I'm saying, though, Stephen. Is I don't necessarily even want to see a good movie to begin with at the drive-in. I want to see like almost just trash. I want to see something grindhouse, mediocre. Yeah. yeah, that I'm not like. I want to see Hubie Halloween at the drive-in, and that's probably the only context in which i want to see hubie halloween i saw bowfinger at the drive-in uh <laughs> i think <laughs> with that, that Blair might be Witch more project right yes yeah back yeah. when they did things alphabetically <laughs> we've heard that story before okay so the conjuring though um i saw it in an actual movie theater with uh with a with a crowd which i might allude to later uh, there was a couple speaking of making out there was a couple of of teenagers sitting right next to me making out at length during this movie so oh, much like so right next to you right next to me oh that's not good so much so that eventually like i leaned that. over and i said don't you guys have a car <laughs> <laughs> are you Get serious your out of yeah, there i did i had to because they were like it wasn't just they were making out they were like giggling and shit and i was oh like God. listen just i don't need this in the next chair when i'm watching the scary movie no. um anyway <laughs> 
So, you know, very, very simple premise for The Conjuring. You know, we have a, it's a, well, all right, let's get this out of the way. The Conjuring universe is based on the alleged real life exploits of Ed and Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. paranormal investigators, demonologists, etc., who have in Cooks. real life a career of, you know, cracking the case, doing Scooby-Doo shit, busting ghosts, um, <laughs> around the place so with that comes you know problematic connotations like yes. oh they're snake oil salesmen oh they're taking advantage of people oh their methods are are abusive etc 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 and that is all valid i'm not sure we need to talk about it in the context of the conjuring <laughs> no. i'm glad you got that out of the way right out the gate because I, I it is worth mentioning yes there's there's a lot of controversy surrounding these two I'm curious, I didn't do any research on this, unfortunately, because it's been a very busy day. This is billed in the opening moments of the movie as, like, a case that they've never talked about before. Because it's too malevolent. Is there any validity to that, or did James Wan dream this up for the screen and get permission from the Warrens to use their identities? I don't know, but while Chris looks it up, I found it hilarious that it specifically says they've never talked about this case because uh-huh. it was too malevolent. I just love that wording. The ne- that's James Wan's next movie, Malevolent. <laughs> that's what that's what the movie is rated R for, is malevolence. It's the first movie to be rated R for malevolence. <laughs> uh, apparently, it's, it's based on true events i don't know if it's events that were like under wraps until this movie came out that might be embellished but apparently it's just based on a case that they okay. did indeed uh work on all right well so summarize the set up the movie chris now that we're 45 minutes into this episode <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's it's a very familiar story family moves into a house the house is con- is haunted and they have to consult outside experts to cleanse the house um, that's all there is to it. There's a there's a man and a woman, married couple, and then they have a plethora of daughters. And I don't know how many they have. Five. Five. It seems like there's a different daughter that, in every scene. That's something mm-hmm. that kind of bothered me the first time I watched this movie because I couldn't keep the characters straight, like the, the kids straight. And then I just, in this watch, I was kind of like, that's okay. The point is, there's just a lot of kids in this house, and I don't need to know specifically. I'm shocked. There are five? There are five of them? There are yeah. five, and I also could not keep track of them. There, In my mind, there's Joey King, there's the old one, and then there's three random ones. I thought there were just two. i mean i did watch it like at the end of the movie if you'd asked me how many daughters there were which is what we're doing i would have said two maybe three maybe there's a third one that pops up every now and again i would have said four up to a certain point i forget what it was that finally made me go oh wow there are five shit no there's a lot of daughters and and some of them don't get a lot of screen time like there's the aloof teenage one who just kind of wants not to be in the house um but you know, and I think that's sort of because it's based on a true story, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, so and so has to be in there." And so it's like they don't want to have composite characters or anything. They want to have everybody so everyone can look at them and say, "Oh, there, there I am on the screen." There. I mean, I presume these are based on real people, and they must have had some involvement in the film or like signing off. Do they use their actual names? I think know? so. Okay, I, interesting. Interesting. I want to read more after the cast. Yeah, read more after know. the there, cast. There are, there are pictures that purport to be of them in the credits, though. Oh, that's true. That's true. And I assume yeah. there are pictures of the real people. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all based on real people, supposedly true events. Who knows? Um, okay. It's it's a horror movie, basically. Well, and Chris, I, I feel like our audience would be well served. At the very least, I would be well served because it is Halloween. And you pick this movie because it has big Halloween energy and you talk about big Halloween energy a lot. What's big Halloween energy? Define it for me who has forgotten and our listeners who may have never heard you explain it before. Big Halloween energy uh, uh, supposes that there's a difference between things you will find in the horror genre and things you would find at a Halloween store. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and... (laughs) Everything inside the Halloween store fits in the horror genre, but not everything in the horror genre fits in the Halloween store. I follow 100%. And so this movie has big Halloween energy because it's a haunted house, for one thing. Mm. But the kitchen sink approach to the spooks and scares in this movie gives it big Halloween energy. I mean, you have everything. You have fucking haunted house, haunted wardrobe, 
haunted hangman tree, Witch. dark spirits, witches, and ghosts, and demons and devils, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so on and so forth. Okay, gotcha. just for starters, haunted doll for Christ's sake. Gotcha. So you <laughs> would, so you would say, would you say the movie Halloween has big Halloween energy? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Cause, largely because okay. it takes place on Halloween. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right, all right. I would agree with that too, even though uh, we don't need to relitigate this. But it doesn't look like it was set on Halloween. But it's got enough of the trappings. Yes, that's um, true. It's got the pumpkins and everything else. You know. Yep. Kids, kids trick or treating. I think you know, Chris. I think my definition is a slight variation on yours. It might actually mean the same thing. But a movie that has big Halloween energy for me has something iconic in it that you can put on your front lawn on Halloween, and people are going to know what movie it's from. Mm. So in this movie, it would be Annabelle. <laughs> It'd be Annabelle. You certainly wouldn't want to put a noose up in your tree. Uh, no. But, yeah, definitely be Annabelle. Maybe the the uh, the music box. I want a life-size... Uh, I want life-size standees of Ed and Lorraine Warren as played by <laughs> Patrick Wilson and, and Vera Farmiga. Now, that's scary. Dude, I... So, I mean, this is, like, really... I guess this is tangential, but it's just segueing from Stephen mentioning Annabelle. I did not realize there's a real-life Annabelle. Like, Ed oh, and Lorraine yeah. Warren actually investigated an Annabelle, and there is an Annabelle in their museum. They have a museum that I guess you could visit at one point, but is now closed. And it was just, in real life, a Raggedy Ann doll. And, of course, they couldn't do that in the movie. But yes. if there's a real-life Annabelle, that was, they made, that was a bit of a mind-blower for me. They made the most horrifying doll mm-hmm. they did. they could muster. And so, funny story, I actually tried to uh, show this to somebody. Uh, I, I showed this to my friend and his girlfriend on Halloween night one year. Or I tried to. But um, the girlfriend was a little bit anxious about horror movies to begin with. And the opening shot, which is an extreme close-up on Annabelle's face, she said, nope. And she put a pillow over her face. And (laughs) it was still over her face five minutes later. So we said, all right, we'll turn the movie off. (laughs) Rated R for spooky (laughs) is right. It is an outstandingly designed doll. I forgot that Annabelle was actually in this movie and also that she's in this movie in an interestingly like supporting kind of role. I, yeah. I remembered her being like a primary antagonist in one of these movies, but she really isn't. They just spun her off into her own franchise, which mm-hmm. is wild. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really cool about the Conjuring franchise is that it has established all these iconic characters, like the nun, for example, Annabelle. Uh, I think they're trying to make the the crooked man happen from the Conjuring two, and the um, butler, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I would love the butler to be in the Conjuring four. The butler made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> the cook, um, the thief, his wife, and her butler. <laughs> um, but it's it, it, one of the things I like about this movie is that like there's a lot of things like Annabelle. Any one of these things could have carried a movie for like the hide and clap game. <laughs> you know, there's like all these like kind of fun ideas that lesser movies, such as some of the movies we've seen on, on Netflix, would just be like, oh, that's our movie. There's going to be a game called hide and clap, but but there's going to be a ghost clapping. Um, and this movie is just like, oh, here's all this stuff. Yeah. And it just throws it at you. Well, I mean, since you brought that up, I guess I'll, I guess I'll take this moment to begin outing myself as a little bit of a conjuring, not hater, but detractor. That's one of the Can we, that- I wish we could high five right now. Virtually. <laughs> <laughs> we can here. Put your hand up to the screen. <laughs> yeah. It feels so good. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things that bugs me a little bit about this movie is it seems almost scattered. And I guess I like that idea of the kitchen sink approach and throwing in a little bit of everything in theory. But in the actual movie, I feel at times almost a little bit confused by what I'm supposed to be focusing on or kind of what the, the focal point of the movie is. And and I guess, I guess it's interesting because, I don't know, it's... It, it is James Wan, and you can compare it to Insidious, I think. is a pretty easy thing to compare it to. Fucking love Insidious. Pretty sure I gave Insidious a view it. Insidious is something that throws a ton of shit at the wall, mm-hmm. but it throws a ton of shit at the wall. And and it's, it's a lot of different things, and it's high volume of all the different things. I feel like The Conjuring throws you, like, little bits of a lot of different things, and it's... It's like, instead of being assaulted, I'm just kind of like looking around, looking for little particles of things floating in the air, like trying to latch on to 
one of them, mm. and I find it a, a little frustrating. It's all just kind of scattered, scattered to the four winds is sort of how I felt watching it. I had a similar experience where I'm like, but I appreciate that about it because I think to do a movie like this for a modern audience, it's not enough just to like rehash Poltergeist or something, you know, like you, I, I appreciate that James Wan, uh, as in pretty much everything he's ever done, takes a lot of swings, big and small, mm-hmm. and, and tries to, you know, show you something you haven't seen before. In, in one of these kinds of movies. This is definitely a movie where, like, I went in with certain expectations based on the trailer, based on the premise, and not everything really worked for me, but but I appreciated that there were some, some interesting diversions. Even if they don't work, it's clear that there's an intelligent mind behind this that's trying to surprise you. Well, and it's an interesting exercise, especially for him, because it is, at least by his normal standards, it feels like an exercise in restraint. Because, I mean, if you compare it to essentially anything else that he's done, (laughs) which is just, you know, he is just buck wild. I mean, if you compare this to Malignant, you're almost like, this is the same director. (laughs) It's interesting to watch him dial back a little bit, I guess. I would love to compare this to Malignant for a brief moment because, you know, I feel like I'm still unpacking that movie, what, a month, month and a half later? (laughs) And it's been interesting to go back and look at James Wan movies that I saw before that didn't do really anything for me upon first viewing. I don't know. I feel like I have a little bit more confidence in him as the director of Malignant, seeing what he was able to pull off in in some of his earlier, more iconic work. Um, Mm. It's it's I had this question in my mind. Is he just a complete mad? man in malignant is like a trash masterpiece by accident or is he actually like a really qualified craftsman and i'm leaning toward the latter after revisiting this movie oh i absolutely think he's a very qualified craftsman i i i think i was a little bit of a doubter a little bit of a hater of him for a while but i i slowly put together this I, i don't know i felt like it was the assembling the pieces of his personality and like Aquaman and Malignant and Furious 7 and Insidious and everything. And then finally, I'm like, oh, this is who this guy is. Okay, I like it. And I, and I at this point, would say I love pretty much everything he's done, except for arguably his most acclaimed and beloved work, which is this movie. And actually, I, I shouldn't say except for. I, I don't dislike this movie, but I would say it's his, it's the movie I like the least of his. I think I agree. Um, as much as I love James Wan and, and I, I like the idea of The Conjuring, I don't know if I like The Conjuring that much. And that whole sort of the scattered approach really didn't work for me on this watch. And I found myself bored a lot of the time. Yeah. I, here's the thing. If you're watching this movie for the first time, I think the volume of jump scares and jump scare setups will kind of propel you through but knowing where the jump scares are on the second watch because uh, i still remember them because they're they're good you're kind of like just waiting for them to happen and there's not a lot of plot and not a lot of interesting stuff to kind of connect all the little spooky moments that they're throwing at you insidious for whatever reason I am more invested in the story of, I think the characters are better. I think the story is tighter and, and events logically flow from one place to the other. And you don't have as much of that, like, all right, well, let's tell you about this witch now. Okay. Well, let me tell you about this Victorian boy now. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> all this stuff that's kind of going on in the country. I like some of the trappings that James Wan gives it. I think maybe a little cheekily, like you know the the scroll at the beginning. That's yeah, oh, I before. love that. <laughs> There's like yeah. kind of these like retro flourishes that are kind of where he's like knowingly making sort of a throwback movie of a genre that wasn't made much anymore at the time like just kind of the straight lace haunted house exorcism movie and he wanted to to give it that look like it's you're reading the back of the amityville horror book or something <laughs> well there's a cu- there's a couple of nice zooms in there too yeah it works wonderfully and i think this paved the way for a movie that i that i know at least you love chris ouija origin of evil oh which yeah. also has a very throwback look with the cigarette burns and the film print and the fake film print and everything um so I, I'm glad this movie exists, if only so that other filmmakers could feel confident uh, evoking that era and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think it does a nice job with the characters. I thought it was interesting that you you felt you connected the characters in Insidious more, because I think Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are both excellent actors, especially Vera Farmiga. She outshines, 
Patrick Wilson by a long shot in this, mm-hmm. but they work really, really well together. They have a nice chemistry and you feel them as people. And you even start to feel the, the family sort of thinly sketched at times as they are as people as well. I mean, Lily Taylor, Jesus Christ, like Lily Taylor brings so much God bless. charisma and presence <laughs> and depth to anything that she's in. She brings so much to high fidelity in fucking like 90 seconds of the movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by the time you get to a climactic scene that we'll discuss in the spoiler room, like you feel the connections those people have to each other. And there is big emotional resonance to the climax of the movie. And I that that stood out to me, especially on this viewing. We get a lot of kind of obvious setups for spooks in this movie over the first like 15, 20, 30 minutes. And I have to say, the first time around when I saw this, I didn't like it at all. I don't like Patrick Wilson. I think he always comes across as hokey. That's heresy. Uh, that get the get the fuck out of here. Not a, not a fan. And and I mean, there was a period of time where like I would watch anything. It seemed like he was in every movie I wanted to see. I mean, he was in Watchmen. He was in Hard Candy. He was in uh, <laughs> um, what's the movie the with Kate Winslet about the Little Children? Little Children. And I I always thought it like he just hit. The, all the wrong notes in those movies. Have you um, seen Aquaman? I have not. <laughs> and I, I... See, yeah, Listen, this is... I, I agree I, with you. Patrick Wilson does always feel hokey, but I think it's almost always intentionally deployed and kind of brilliantly deployed. He He's a very talented guy in my mind. He's, he's very good at playing a very specific type of, like, mediocre guy. Yeah, yeah, okay. I will say this time around, I responded much better to his performance. Obviously, he pales in comparison to, to Vera Farmiga. I mean, yeah. she's just fucking incredible in this. Um, I got to tell you about Aquaman, though. Okay, tell me about Aquaman. I will say, I have a tab of acid that was gifted to me by a friend <laughs> that is probably going to sit in a drawer for like a fucking year, but I think I might have to pull it out for Aquaman. You're going to have a comes. Oh, you don't, you don't need it. That, it'll be too much. You'll already feel like you're on acid if yeah, you, you watch Aquaman a, sober. Aquaman is beer, insane. You'll, you'll be like, what's in this? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Aquaman but, plus acid will kill you. That will it, be your cause of death. <laughs> That's a PSA you. for you. The mind can only take so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell me about Aquaman. Let's get well, this out well, of the way. Well, the, the, the most hilarious thing about Aquaman is that James Wan cast his buddy Patrick Wilson to play Ocean Master. I'm not going to say, uh, he's not Aquaman's arch nemesis, but like one of his top nemesis. In the, in the comics, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. That, hold on. His name is Ocean Master? That yes. is the character's name. Okay. Well, yeah, well that's his title. He's, okay. he's, okay. he's Aquaman's brother, and he seeks the title of Ocean Master for reasons that you'll see when you watch the movie. In the comics, right. that is just his name. Yes. So yeah, they, they had to pretty it up. They had to dress it up a little bit, tart it up a little bit for the movie. But Ocean Master, you know, he's a, he's a comic book villain who's about as sensational as the name Ocean Master would suggest. But it's just Patrick Wilson and Aquaman, <laughs> Aquaman. And it's just the best kind of dissonance between this, like, seeing this, like, Patrick Wilson just as a comic book villain, you know, that sh- I don't know. Who, sh- who should have played uh, Ocean Master, Patrick? Oh, I... I, I can't think of anyone better than Vincent Patrick Tenofrio? Wilson. He's, oh. he's, he's amazing. And every time he has this musical cue that is literally, it's literally this. Dun, dun, dun. And multiple times, like, he delivers sort of a sinister or impactful line. And as soon as he says it, the score just thunders. Dun, dun, dun. And it's fucking hilarious. He seems miscast because it's just Patrick Wilson in this kind of unusual role. But anyway, go on, go on, Stephen. <laughs> well, uh, to get back to what I was, what I was trying to say, if I can remember what the fuck I was trying to say. Um, oh, you mean first, you weren't trying to talk about Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw this, I was like, okay, I see you, movie. I see your setup, and I can predict what, what the jump scare is going to be. This time, it's been a. I mean, it's been what, like eight, nine years since this came out. As I try to do always with Amon movies, I tried to go in with an open mind, a clean slate, and some of the some of it worked for me. I got on this movie's level. That I actually did get creeped out a couple of times, even by some of the more obvious setups, like, you know, 
everybody has their own idea of how the clapping game is going to pay off. And (laughs) I got a little bit of a chill when it finally did this time. I think the first time I laughed out loud, probably because I was, I was out for blood. Um, this time it worked. It, it had, it had the Halloween energy that Chris prescribed to us. And I was grateful for that. My three favorite scares in this movie are the one you just mentioned where the, the clapping hands come out behind, uh, is it Vera in that scene? No, it's the it's the mother. It's Lily. In the, oh, Lily. the um, that's right. in yeah, the that's um right. the whatever whatever you call that, the uh, armoire. Armoire, yeah. yeah. It's that. Uh it's the scene where the witch is suddenly crouching on top of the armoire and yes. then jumps on the fucking kid. Love Amazing. That. And also the scene where Vera's hanging up the laundry and a sheet blows away and like catches around a, a spectral shape of a human body behind her and then like blows dramatically all over the fucking house. It's great. Yeah, that, that that's that's all very spooky. Yeah, but also besides those like big, very visual moments too, I mean, I think we have to give some props to the sound design in this too. Mm, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. house creaks and squeaks and it's it's just, that's that all felt very well deployed to me. Not, you know, speaking as someone who's necessarily super well schooled in the construction of that, but to me, it felt like that, I don't know, mood was just very well created um, through all that stuff and those little kind of unsettling moments um, beyond the, you know, the big kind of banner things we were just talking about. Well, there's 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 squeaks, there's there's knocks, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's there's banging. You hear the the rope, the hangman's rope stretching when oh, when yeah. Vera's out under the hanging tree. There's all kinds of little subtle details in the in the sound design that at least create an atmosphere, if not create terror. So. Mm-hmm. Well, while yeah. we're talking about all the spooks and scares, um, maybe we should go down to the spoiler room so we can talk about them in more detail. What do you think? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Uh, so who wants to review it? Who wants to review it first? Who wants to be brave? I'm brave. <laughs> all right, Steven, uh, would you today, do today it, anyway. cue it, or screw it? Uh, I would give this a cue it. I, I've, I've only seen it twice, you know, when it first came out, and now I liked it a lot better this time. But I can think of a lot of kitchen sink horror movies even those made by james wan more recently that i would recommend over this i mean i think it's like uh, on a a craftsmanship level it's it's very very solid and impressive at times but didn't offer quite enough new for me to for it to be of any note and i did find it kind of boring at times i think it takes a while to figure out what what the main interest is um, but it, it does have big Halloween energy. This is a movie that I would totally just like throw on in the background while I'm like making some popcorn on the stove and putting on the, the orange and purple lights and, and getting in the mood for the spooky season. So it's a cue it. Patrick. Uh, I'll give it a cue it to, you know, I enjoyed it. I think it kind of drags in places. And like I said, it feels a little just scattered to me in a way that was frustrating and, you know, frankly, if you're listening to this show and if you like horror, you've probably fucking seen The Conjuring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's it's fairly inescapable, I think, over the past decade if you're into this sort of stuff at all. But, um, yeah, if you haven't seen it before, I would say don't rush to see it, but don't avoid it. Chris? I'm going to give it a view it, but it's a, it's a more hesitant and a lower view it than you might expect. I didn't really enjoy this movie that much on this rewatch. I thought it was a little disorganized. I thought it dragged a bit. I thought that once the magic of the jump scares is lost on you, it doesn't have a whole lot to offer in, in some long stretches of the movie. But, I mean, it's it's fun. And I would definitely say that anyone who hasn't seen it should see it because it's going to scare you. It's interesting enough, and it will scare you. There are enough spooks uh, and enough different types of scares, including jump scares, that you will be scared watching this movie. And even I thinking I knew the movie was pretty fucking terrified in a couple spots that I forgot about. And on top of that, it's just, like I said, like Annabelle on its own is worth a view it. Hide and clap on its own is worth a view it. There's a couple other devices in this that I think are just so fun and creative that I think it's, it's worth a watch. It's time well spent, even if everything doesn't really add up uh, or move the way I would want it to. So give it a view, view it. And uh, with that said, it's time to move on to the spoiler room where we will 
talk more freely about all the twists and turns and what happens to this house and and do the Warren save the day. But first, if you're interested, go check us out online, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast. Leave us a note. Tell us what you think of The Conjuring. We love to hear our listeners' responses. And don't forget to rate us and review us on your podcast service of choice. We love to hear what people think of the show. Especially if they work for Variety. I was just going to say, I need to, uh, I'll meet you guys down there in a minute. I just got to fold this this issue of Variety back together. I'm going <laughs> to bring it down with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you work for a, a national or international trade publication... Please don't review us on your podcast service. Just review us in the pages of your your publication, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back in a few seconds in the spoiler room. We're going to go down to the cellar where the boarded up spoiler room. What horrors await? Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room, getting ready to spoil everything about James Wan's The Conjuring. And James Wan's 2013 film, The Conjuring, which... 2013 uh, man, masterpiece. Are we still in the embargo period for spoilers on that? Should we be worried? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> some some people, some of our listeners may have only recently started watching horror movies. Because That's true. they're That's true. 13 yeah. years old. <laughs> they were they were not alive when this movie came out (laughs) you know they're 13 years old they were flipping through the latest issue of variety Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the yep their their favorite periodical (laughs) (laughs) so so this movie uh you know it, it kind of it's ostensibly from the point of view of the Warrens, but the good first half of it is just this family being persecuted in this haunted house, kind of on their own before they cross paths with the Warrens. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, um, oh, what's the other movie that does that? I think I might know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I can't name it. I, I did like the kind of, we've, we're riding these two different roads, we're hopping back and forth, and you know they're going to intersect, you just don't know when, and I thought that was kind of fun. Yes, and there's a there's another movie I'm thinking of, but I can't think of what it is that does that. Clinical. Clinical. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mentioned in Variety. I, it's just top of mind. I don't know. Oh, it's like Heat. <laughs> <laughs> Classic it's like horror heat. flick. Oh, you got these two forces, and you know they're going to meet at some point. It has been a few episodes since you've referenced Heat. You were yeah. you were overdue. Define yeah. a few. <laughs> like one and a half. <laughs> well, anyway, let me tell you about me watching this in the theater because spoiler alert, one of the first things that happens uh to this family right upon their moving into this house is their dog is killed by demons supposedly. Mm, oh, and, that was sad. What was that dog's yeah. name? Like Casey Sadie. or something? Sadie. Sadie. Oh, yeah. Sadie was so cute. She was. And here is here was my theater experience. You know, as I said, people in the theater were not quite, you know, attentive to this movie. And you get through the whole <laughs> prologue. People are kind of horsing around. That dog showed up on screen. Oh, yeah. Everyone in the theater was like, oh, my God. And like, and then when the dog died, dead silence. And this movie had everybody's attention for the rest of the show. That's huh. got to be why so many horror movies, especially that we've watched on Netflix, kill a fucking dog. But they don't do it as well as The Conjuring. They don't. They don't. This they a, don't. I didn't feel that it was like prurient or gross or cheap when the dog died. I, I just genuinely felt sad for the family and for the dog. It was well yeah. done. Because the dog doesn't want to go in the house. The dog has a character. The dog is given mm-hmm. personality. The do- and we zoom in on that dog and the dog's like, fuck, no, I'm not going in that haunted house. Fuck, no, well, I'm not going in that haunted house. Well, and they also very tastefully like show the dog's corpse in a, a wide shot. Like you never see a close up of what damage has been done to the dog. Yeah, you don't see or hear the I dog actually die. I think you hear it. Oh no, you just hear the kid screaming when she <laughs> finds it. But yeah, why are we talking about something that happens in the first twenty minutes of the movie in the spoiler room? <laughs> oh, because it's uh, I you know I think it's a. Uh, I didn't think to mention it before, and I and, and I think that if you didn't see the movie, uh, it's important that that scene pulls you into the movie. I'll allow it. 
All right. But yeah, I mean, what else was what there to talk about, man? We, we, we got spooks. There's a we witch. Got, there's a witch. A witch sacrificed her baby in, I don't know, 1600 or something on this property and then hung right. herself and proclaimed her love for Satan and she's cursed the entire land and all the parcels it was divided up into. So this is where we have to add another disclaimer because we got in a big argument with one of our other friends on uh, in the group chat about whether it was ethical for this movie to hang its uh, plot device and villain on a real-life woman who was killed in the Salem Witch Trials. And, I mean, had no pun intended with the hang there. I mean... Right, yeah. right. But the villain is is, in passing, said to be related to... A real-life woman who was tried at the Salem Witch Trials. Possibly executed at the Salem Witch Trials. So, is it in poor taste that these screenwriters, who I think are, like, devout Catholics and and also wrote The Reaping, which is kind of a religious film, would kind of take this real-life victim of a real-life atrocity and be like, actually, she was a witch and a devil worshiper, and that's what we're going to kind of spin our movie off of. It's not in good taste. I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it, but I think it's worth mentioning. Sure. When you say the reaping, do you mean that Hillary Swank piece of garbage? Like after she won the Oscar? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> oh watched that shit on DVD. I, I, you fucking I was animal. A, I was a Hillary Swank fan, and I watched the reaping, and I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a similar trajectory in Hillary Swank fandom there. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a witch... She has resulted in the the deaths and possessions of various people on the properties she was associated with over the years, which our family is now living in. And she finally ends up possessing Lily Taylor, the mom. Yeah, the MO of this witch is she possesses like the mother and then the mother kills sacrifices the kids i guess to satan and so not only are we being haunted by the witch herself we're being haunted by the spirits of the generations of people who have lived on this property beforehand such as little victorian boy um <laughs> who i mean james wan just loves his little victorian boys <laughs> oh um, and, that doesn't sound right and if he and if he can't fit a little victorian boy in the film then he's gonna fit like a carriage a horse and buggy or something like he just kind of loves the aesthetic um but we are introduced to little victorian boy through this music box that the youngest child finds somewhere on a hanging tree say his name chris his name is rory rory the little small victorian child so the youngest child finds this music box and now here's like some Mandela effect shit because the gimmick of this music box. Oh, I hope you're about to say what I think you're about to say because I had some Mandela effect shit with this music box. I had big Mandela effect energy oh. with this music box because the gimmick of the music box is the little girl is like you open it and you look in the mirror and when the music stops, you see the ghost behind you. My memory of this fucking movie is that they open the music box four or five times and yes. you never see anything. Yes! You know what? I Absolutely. had the exact same experience. I was shocked to actually see something. What is going on? Did they edit this on us? Uh, because you see something almost every time in the music box in this movie. I feel so fucking validated right now. I, I do too, not to quite the same extreme degree, but I mean, the whole thing with the Mandela effect is that it's about the fallibility of a human memory. So I think we all just, uh, we just forgot about that. But part. this is one of my favorite things about this movie yes. since I saw it. And it's not something I would just make up. Yes. Yeah. I think it speaks to the effectiveness of the chills in this movie that actually work and that they can still surprise you on a second go around. I had a couple of experiences like that. This one primarily, um, also the the armoire i like i i thought i knew how that scene ended and it still scared the fuck out of me and i was like wait i don't remember the arms actually coming out of the thing so my explanation for for my mandela effect experience with this was actually seeing it at the drive-in because i could see what was going on so poorly that Mm. i was just like oh i like there's stuff in the mirror it's often like kind of unclear and i was like oh i just couldn't see it but regardless, I still at least had the same emotional experience with this that, that you two did. The best I can explain it is that I was always expecting a jump scare in the mirror, and there's never really quite a jump scare in the mirror. You see creepy stuff, but it's not presented like a jump scare. God, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but there is a scene where Lily 
Taylor is taking, I almost said Lily Tomlin. Lily Taylor is taking <laughs> sleeping pills because she's got all these bruises, you know, building up on her body and she's just kind of losing her mind and just wants a good night's sleep. And she closes the mirror, like the bathroom drug cabinet mirror, and there's a lot of negative space and you expect something to show up there, but it doesn't. And it only yeah. pays off later with the music mm. box. And I thought that was kind of cool. But I'm beside myself about this music box thing. I don't know. Well, yeah, because that was sort of like one of the main things that I gave the movie credit for was that it, at least in my mind or my memory, it sets you up so many times to see something in the music box and makes it scary without ever actually showing you something in the music Mm -hmm. box, except that's completely untrue. It's untrue. And I used to think like they could have gone back to that music box 10 more times and I would have been eating out of their palm 10 more times. Same. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I don't know. Fallibility of memory, I guess. But, yeah, I remember there being nothing in that mirror the whole movie. Disappointing. Well, yeah. But, I mean, also still the things you do see in it are still scary. I mean, I think it works. It just, you know, wasn't the the thing that I thought I admired it for. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever used this phrase before, this term, but it's kind of an artful jump scare. In that, like, it's it works so well that you can forget that it was a jump scare. Yeah. Well, the the kind of the genius of it is they tell you. It's like usually they don't tell you when there's going to be a jump scare, but the girl's like, "Oh yeah, when the music stops, uh-huh. that's when you're going to see the ghost." <laughs> and so it's so scary. <laughs> I guess I'm comparing it to something that is much scarier, which may be unfair to this movie, but in that sense, it reminds me of sort of the the mechanization behind the alley dream sequence in Mulholland Drive for like, mm. they tell you what you're going to fucking see. You know, yeah. you're going to see it. You just yeah. don't expect them to actually go there. Yeah. And when they do, it's, it's 10 times more terrifying than you could have anticipated. Yeah. And it's like, sure. it's like when you play bloody Mary and you know, you say your name 10 times and you're going to see the ghost. And then the ghost is never as scary as you want her to be. Yeah. But yeah, Lily Taylor gets possessed, and at the same time, Bathsheba, the witch, also decides she's going to fuck with the Warrens, too, because she doesn't like them coming around and trying to Mm -hmm. meddle in her plans. So she ends up possessing Annabelle. This is where Annabelle kind of comes back in and terrorizes the Warrens' daughter. Which, that's all a little bit. There's some weird stuff late in the movie where, like, everyone's driving across the state. And it's like, oh, we got to go to the hotel. Oh, no. All right. We got to go back to the house. Oh, we got to go check on the daughter. Okay. Now we got to go to the motel. All right. Now we got to go to the house. And it's like, it seems to only be there so that we can have this scene with Annabelle. But I'm not complaining. I like to see a little girl get terrified by Annabelle. Why not? Yeah. I mean, and it all boils down to finally they're, they're pushed into a scenario where shit has gotten so bad that Patrick Wilson has to perform the exorcism on Lily Taylor himself instead of waiting for permission from the Vatican. It's an unauthorized exorcism. Very bad, very unorthodox. Not the way these things are supposed to be done, folks, but sometimes you got to <laughs> resort to drastic measures. He says, fuck it, we'll do it live. Exactly. Just and like Father Amort, man. Love that spirit. Like Father Amort. But you know what? Here's something that I will give the movie credit for. And Steven, I know that you especially are a big uh, uh, detractor of the exorcism genre. Mm -hmm. You don't like the inherent misogyny in exorcism Mm -hmm. movies and scenes. Ultimately, it's kind of uh, the mother saving herself from the possession. Because Patrick Wilson's exorcism doesn't really work. Maybe it weakens the witch. You could argue that, but she's still a hundred percent that witch by the time he's done with the, oh. by the time he's done with the exorcism. Okay, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, well, I, I would say it, it, he's he's partly successful. Like he doesn't fail, but he certainly doesn't fully succeed in exercising sure, her. We've still got a problem on our hands even after he does his his worst. Yeah, and and so Vera kind of re or, or uh, well, sorry, uh, Mrs. Warren reaches out to Lorraine. Lorraine Warren reaches out to the mother through the connection they made earlier with the family photos, and it's like, no, you know what? You, you this is you're a mother. You're a strong woman. These are your kids. You love. You got to come back. Fight off this witch. And she kind of uh, unpossesses herself in the end. Yeah, Ed Lorraine. 
and the husband, whose name I now forget, all reach out to her as she's like crouched in sort of the weird sub-basement of this house, struggling with the witch. None of them can touch her. None of them is doing like exorcism shit, but they're all like kind of speaking to her and trying to emotionally appeal to her on their own terms. And that that was the moment that really worked for me. And I thought that was just a great scene because you build up the relationships that get, get you to that moment. And, and Lily Taylor's performance sells it really well too. But that builds up to a really nice emotional kind of catharsis there where you don't need the exorcism. You don't need people floating and spitting blood and whatever. You just have a pretty powerful scene between four people there where she shakes off this presence on her own. Finally, it's a movie about love. Sure. Why not? (laughs) And it's over like 90 seconds after that. Like they do not dick around. Well, maybe a bit more than 90 seconds, but they do not dick around with too much more after the falling the action does not last long. It's like after uh, everything we've been through, I feel like I was happy with how quickly they got us out of there into the credits. I don't know. Be- I, because I, like she almost, it's over almost so quickly that you're expecting, you know, kind of a false ending where it's like, oh, she's still possessed. And then she flies up and sets the house on fire or some shit oh, like that, you oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, the falling action, we do get a couple scenes, you know, of the family all being happy again. Uh, Ed and Lorraine holding each other on the idyllic porch of this, this house that's now been cleansed relationship goal and then them going back <laughs> and 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 taking the old music box and adding it to their their haunted collection and 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 saying oh much like the end of uh, Batman Begins they're like uh oh there's a something we might want to check out on Long Island which i believe is a reference to the Amityville horror which is a case that the Warrens uh, investigated and is in the prologue oh, did they? of The Conjuring 2 yeah but there's a little bit of a timeline discrepancy, but that's a that's a nerdy nitpick because that the Amityville horror didn't happen until years after the events of this movie. But wait, how many years? This was 1970, right? This was 71, and I think the Amityville horror was like 75, 76, something like that. Oh yeah, okay, that checks out. Huh? Yeah. Oh. So okay, but after that, the music box opens one last time, and that time we don't see we anything, don't see right. Anything. Okay, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good note. That's a good note. You know what scene scared me the most this time? I'd love to know. Tell me. The scene where the girl wakes up and there's someone tugging on her feet and then she sees something behind the door and we can't see what it is, but she's terrified. It's a good by scene. It. Oh, God. It's a good scene. That was scary. God, that, that sounds like a scene that would be in this movie. I don't remember it, though. <laughs> You know, and I think that might be one of my frustrations with this is there are a lot of good fucking scenes in this, like really, really good scenes. Um, But again, it's that thing where it's like they it feels almost disjointed or something like they don't necessarily all feel of a a piece to me. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. We haven't talked about like, you know, the Warrens bring it. I mean, we didn't even really talk about how the the Warrens, you know, come in and start investigating the house. But but obviously they do. Um, But then the Warrens also bring in you know, two helpers to kind of do paranormal investigations and they do a whole, there's a whole sequence where they're setting up cameras in the house and using UV lights and and doing all that stuff. I love all that shit because I just like the throwback nature of it because we live in an era where there's like a fucking, like every network has their own ghost hunting show, you know? Mm. And I like seeing it done with the old tech. I like when like, the door opens mysteriously and there's a camera with a tripwire ready to take a picture of whatever comes out of it with the flashbulb and everything. I thought that was so fun. That was cool. No, I, I really liked that stuff. And I really liked the, the, the Warren characters and, and kind of how they talked about their work and how they conducted their work. And it was kind of fun to see them work. And I kind of yeah. wish there were more of that. There was more of that in the movie and that this had been a little bit more about the Warrens, I guess, and less about, you know, just all the weird shit happening to this family before they get there. You know what? I I think you might have nailed my major problem with the narrative structure of this movie. I think it would have been better served if the Warrens had been sort of central to the plot from the beginning, rather than the kind of uh, uh, meandering dovetailing that we get over the first 45 minutes or so. Mm Mm-hmm. And speaking of meandering, like we also have the subplot about how Lorraine Warren was touched too hard by an exorcism and it took her to the edge and we're afraid that she's going to lose her soul if she doesn't yeah. have her exorcism, which they come back to multiple times to, to raise the stakes of the, the final encounter. And that doesn't really 
pan out to anything. Yeah. And I'm not sure it really gets panned out to anything in The Conjuring 2 either, which I think maybe The Conjuring 2 is a better movie than The Conjuring 1. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it. I remember liking 2 more than I liked 1. But I liked one more than I did the first time I watched it this time. So I think two is a little bit um, less self-serious. Has it's a little more like insidious than than The Conjuring one, if I remember correctly. Well, and this does have just like the lightest little dash of camp to it. You know, it's yes. not played entirely straight. No. Yes. Which I I appreciate, and again, it's an interesting thing because it feels like feels like. I mean, especially for Juan, like extreme restraint just to sort of moderate that so carefully in this movie. I kind of wonder what this would have been like if like Mike Flanagan had done it instead. Mm. Probably pretty fucking similar. (laughs) Oh, I think it would have been better. Especially if I'm thinking of Mike Flanagan in 2013, like... Because okay, I feel, sure. I, I feel like I, Patrick. Because I, I kind of agree with you. Like I feel like James Wan's kind of fighting himself in this movie, where yeah. he kind of wants to go out there, but he's like, yeah. no, this is a serious film about a real story. You have to do it yeah. dignity. It, I did feel uh, the hand of a studio head multiple times throughout this film, especially knowing like how insane his later films would become in in mm. certain moments uh, it, it mm-hmm. did feel like there was there was restraint imposed upon him mm-hmm. at least in part yeah mm. something straight observation that'll probably mean nothing to you guys but I'll, I'll say it for our listeners who may be following along with my journey of fucking loving the nuf halloween special movie i did not realize these movies both came out in the same year and I thought there, so I mentioned this on the show a couple episodes ago, but there's a, there's a couple of demonologists in the WNUF Halloween special who are basically Ed and Lorraine Warren, except they have a cat that is clairvoyant, which is like an adorable <laughs> addition. And I thought it was a parody of The Conjuring. I had no huh. idea they came out at basically the same time. Well, maybe, uh, uh, I mean, the Warrens, I guess, were known to people who are into this shit, you know, before yeah. the contract. And then there's the, the the big lawsuit where, you know, the Warrens possibly sold the rights to their story to some other author. And then mm. he was in litigation with Warner Brothers for years. But that's interesting. Yeah, just but yeah, a I happy mean, accident, look, probably. The, the Warrens in real life, you can, you know, have your opinions. The Warrens of the Conjuring universe, I, I love them. <laughs> Same. I do want to read more. I mean, yeah. I've always heard the term controversial sort of bandied about when it comes to those two. And I definitely want to read more about that. But I think it's very clear that these are like a, a heavily fictionalized and idealized version of the Warrens. And I, I like them. I find them very mm-hmm. compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole separate debate to be had about whether (laughs) (laughs) fictionalizing and likabilizing morally questionable characters in real life for film is uh, acceptable. But we decided at the outset of this this discussion not to dig into that. Yeah. And I mean, you're definitely not wrong to say that you hate The Conjuring because you think it sanitizes stuff that shouldn't be sanitized. I'm, I don't hate it for that. I feel like I might hate it more if I knew more about the Warrens. But I mean, as you know, because you could take this film to be completely, you could just laugh off the this is a true story stuff. You know, uh-huh. you could go, oh, Which this, is what I do. these are completely, <laughs> these are completely <laughs> fictional characters who have no yeah. real life analog. Yeah. Um, and, and I like them perfectly fine in the context of that. If I knew more about the real life Warrens, I'd feel differently. Yeah. All right. Well. That's The Conjuring, the 2013 James Wan masterpiece. Man, what a way to bring Halloween 2021 to a close. So I know. What's next as we venture into the sort of antecedent to the spooky season? The new year, (laughs) (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Patrick, what are we watching next time? Well... I'm going to do a little bit of Chris's dirty work for him here. He said last episode that he was thinking about choosing this movie. And we are, in fact, going to watch another 2013 James Wan film next episode, Insidious Chapter 2. Oh! 
he made both of those movies in 2013. Yeah, they both came oh. out in 2013. Anyway. Oh, Robert Altman, that's crazy. <laughs> oh, guys, James Wan month. I can't, yep. I can't believe it. We yeah, we did baby. two Alien movies, and now we're doing two James Wan movies, and I can't be more excited. I just couldn't resist. We all know that I love the first Insidious, and I don't think it's spoilers because I'm sure I referenced it in our Insidious episode. But I loved Insidious Chapter Two even more than Insidious One when I saw it, and honestly, is one of the most terrified, nerve-rattled experiences I've ever had in a fucking theater seeing this movie. So, wow! Like, like The Conjuring, I'm very curious to see how it sits with me the second time around. And well, I know Stephen wants to see more Patrick Wilson <laughs> and more Insidious. Well, we know Stephen loves Insidious. Well, no, I, I, I'm very curious now because Chris, a couple of weeks ago, you you had to remind me that I actually liked Insidious when we reviewed it on the show, which I completely <laughs> forgot about. So, oh, so I, I'm, curious. I. I'm curious. I'm curious. I've never seen Insidious Chapter Two though. Well, well, and actually, on the Patrick Wilson <laughs> front, Stephen, you're in for some shit because this you're is a Patrick Wilson role for the ages. You have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say right now, you have never seen Patrick Wilson like this. Yeah, this is a Patrick Wilson or? tour de no, force. No, no, no. This is a tour de. Well, listen, let, let let's let's remind our our listeners and remind Stephen that Insidious Chapter One, the original Insidious, ends with. Patrick Wilson being possessed by a witch. Mm-hmm. And that's like the ooh gotcha ending. Mm-hmm. And Insidious Chapter 2 does not flinch away from the ramifications of that ending. <laughs> okay, I'm down. I'm down. It, de- it delivers on that promise. Dun dun dun. <laughs> All right. Great. And then we it. can watch then we can watch Aquaman after after this for the following episode. Dun dun dun. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we'll see y'all back in two weeks to watch Insidious Chapter 2, James Wan. This is the every James Wan movie on Netflix now. Yes. It certainly feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a few more to go through, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, uh, you know, find us online if you want. But otherwise, we will catch you next time for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. See you later. See you in variety, bitches. Mm-hmm.